All right, hey, do me a favor, open up a Bible, turn on a Bible, but get to John chapter 9 today. Working our way through the book of John, and, and uh, just to let you guys know, we're going to be taking this up to uh, Christmas morning, and then I'm going to be taking a break from John for oh, about six or eight weeks just to do kind of a New Year's series and so we'll be working through that, through John, up until Christmas. But we are in John chapter 9 today. So get your hands on a Bible. I'd encourage you to have a Bible. It makes it easier to know what I'm saying so you can see where it's coming from. Um, how many of you, um, when you, you ever realize when you're in a relationship long enough, you get comfortable with that relationship? Yeah? Um, you know, whether you've been dating for a long time or you've been married for a while, um, you've been friends with someone for, you know, like, hey, they, we were best friends in high school 30 years ago, but it, you just can get comfortable in that relationship. Now, here's the problem with being comfortable in a relationship. Um, do you ever take advantage of someone in that relationship? You just, you just kind of take advantage of, you know, like, well, they're always going to be around, okay? You, you take advantage of, and you kind of forget just how good they are to you, all right? You kind of forget sometimes what they do for you and and, and, and just how blessed you are to have them in your life. And sometimes it takes kind of something to happen for you to realize, wow, I don't know what I would do if this person wasn't in my life. I kind of parallel that with our relationship with Christ. Sometimes the longer we are a Christian, the longer you've been a believer in Christ, you get comfortable. You know, you've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, however long. You, you just get comfortable. And the problem with being comfortable with Jesus is this. Take advantage of it. You just kind of take advantage of, well, Jesus is always going to be there. I know my sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. Everything is good. And what happens is we can get so busy with life and so busy with our thing. And, you know, we just take advantage of Jesus. And we can kind of put them on the back burner. And that can sometimes cause us to get to a place where we forget sometimes, or maybe just not forget, but just don't focus on what he has done for us. Well, that's what I want us to take a look at from our, our text today. At the end of chapter 9, I mean, we've only got, it's, it's really only six verses. It's not a long text. Um, but here's what I, as I read through these texts, I kept seeing something. It's what Jesus does. And today, I simply have entitled my message this. This is what Jesus does. What Jesus does for us. And I hope today that these truths will kind of like be ringing a bell again. And will cause you to go, man, I really haven't thought about that in a long time. And to ponder what Jesus does. So let's look at four things of what Jesus does. And here's the first thing. I'd encourage you to take notes, follow along with your outline. But here's the first thing. Jesus comes after us. Jesus comes after us. So if you look at verse 35 there, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. Now, if you weren't here last week, you have no idea what that's referring to. So let me backtrack a few moments and, and re recap where we've been over the past couple weeks here in chapter 9. Remember, in chapter 9, Jesus heals a guy who had been blind since birth, all right? Jesus puts mud in his eyes, tells him to go wash in this pool. The guy goes wash, and he comes back, and he's healed. 
And when you get into the text, you're going to read that the people who knew this guy began questioning, how did this guy come to see? And he was trying to tell them it was Jesus. He's the one who healed me. Well, the problem was, is that Jesus healed this guy. Do you remember on what day of the week he healed this guy on? The Sabbath, all right? And to the Jews, you didn't do that kind of stuff. And especially to the religious leaders of that time, the Pharisees, they got bent out of shape toward Jesus very quickly because Jesus kept healing people on the Sabbath. And they didn't like Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus and they wanted to be done with it. In fact, the Pharisees even put a rule in place, almost a law that said that if anybody professes to believe in Jesus they would be kicked out of the synagogue. Well, these people, I think, being scared of that, being kind of scared of the fact that they knew that Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath, knew the, the policy that the Pharisees had put in place, they took this man to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus did. Well, the Pharisees begin to interrogate this guy. I mean, it's kind of like, he's, like this guy's been brought in on murder charges, and he's sitting down at the table, and the detective is like, tell us. Did you do this? How, how did this happen? And this guy begins telling them. The guy they called Jesus told, put mud in my eyes. He told me to go wash, and now I, I see. I, I can't explain it. And they were like, ah, we don't believe it. We don't believe it. We don't believe it. And they kept saying, how did you come to see? And he just keeps telling them time after time, Jesus, he's the guy that healed me. Well, finally, near the end of the text where we were last week, he got the... the this guy just so, you know, he was a blind beggar. So he wasn't very educated. He didn't like go to college or anything like that. But he began to school these religious teachers. And they got so ticked off at him that they basically kicked him out. I said they probably acted like more like bouncers and threw him out. Now, this is where we are. And it says that Jesus had heard that he'd been kicked out. Now kind of think about that. People were talking about this. Jesus had been hearing through the grapevine, hey, the guy that was healed from birth, he, he, the guy that now sees, the Pharisees got so ticked off at him and threw him out of the, the, probably the synagogue or, or maybe even the, the place in the temple. But they threw him out. And Jesus heard this. And if you read verse 35, it says, after Jesus heard he'd been thrown out, and then finding him. Now, let's, let's put this into perspective. Jesus hears, and then he finds. What was Jesus doing between hearing he'd been thrown out and finding the guy? Looking. Jesus went after this guy. Jesus hears, hey, the Pharisees kicked him out. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go search for this guy. Jesus sought this guy out. He went after him. The guy didn't go after Jesus. Jesus went after the guy. And it was like when Jesus shows up, he's like, hey, if they don't want you, I'll take you. And he goes after him. This is what Jesus does for you and me. He comes after us. Okay, now you need to understand how important that is. You see, we say in our in our terminology, when someone comes to believe in Jesus, when someone becomes a Christian, you'll hear people say this. I found God or I found Jesus. No, 
You didn't find Jesus. Jesus has never been lost. You see, the Bible tells us this in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's referring to Jesus. That Jesus came to this earth. He left heaven, became, he was God Almighty, becomes a man, comes onto this earth, and he came to seek and save the lost. You see, Jesus was never lost. He knew exactly where he was and what he was doing. Guess who are the lost? Raise your hand if you know who the lost are. All of us, okay? We are the lost. Now, what does that mean that you and I are lost? Well, it wasn't physically lost, all right? It was spiritually lost. Every single person at one time in your life, you are spiritually lost. And I think Isaiah chapter 53 gives us a really good picture of what it means to be spiritually lost. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. That's being spiritually lost. Okay, And what that means is when Isaiah says that we all have gone astray, we all have turned to our own way, and it's this. God says, hey, here's the path you are to take. But guess what humanity said? I don't want to walk that path. I'm going to go whose way? My way. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to live how I want. So we no longer want to walk the path of God. We get off the path. How many of you have ever been physically lost? You know, maybe, maybe in your car, okay? Men, we won't admit that. I've never been lost. I know where exactly I am. No, we, no, we get lost, okay? Imagine you go hiking in, in, the, in somewhere out in like Idaho or, or uh, Colorado or something, and, and, and you've never been there before hiking, and you get on a trail, and, and, and it, you're, you're, it tells you, do not go off the trail. Well, about 30 minutes in, you're like, you know what? The trail's boring. I'm going to go off on my own. And you decide to go left. There's no trail. You just go left. And you, into the woods you go. And after about two hours, you have a premonition. I have no idea where I'm at. And you're like, oh, I know what I need to do. I'll just get back to the path. And no matter how hard you look, you can't find the path. And the woods seem to get deeper and more dense. And no matter which way you look, you can't determine which way you're going. Am I going north, south? I have no idea. And it just seems like you get more lost by the moment. And no matter how hard you try, you cannot find your way. You are lost. In that moment, when, and, and, and when one day turns into two days... Or two days turns into four days. What is your biggest hope at that time? Somebody better be found. I'm hoping somebody is searching for me. I'm hoping I haven't ticked off people that bad. They're like, I'll let them die in the woods. I don't care. (laughs) Your hope is, I hope somebody is seeking and searching for me. Because I'm lost and I need to be found. Jesus came to seek and to find the lost. 
He came to seek and to save the lost. You and me, we are, the, we are spiritually lost. And guess what Jesus did? He has stepped into your wilderness of sin. He stepped into your wilderness to seek and save you, to find you, to show you the way out of the wilderness. Jesus comes after us. This is what he came to do. You see, this is why Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. Do you want to know what makes Christianity different than any other religion in the world? All the other religions say this. It's what I do to get to God. Christianity says it's what God did to get to man. Completely different. Because because what humanity, our knee-jerk reaction is, what can I do to get to God? What can I do to get out of my lostness? If I am truly lost in the woods, no matter how hard I try, I'm not getting my way out of that. I need someone who has come through and go, I can get you out. Follow me. And so humanity says, well, it's what I do to get to God, but I'm still lost. It's blind leading the blind. How... How well do you want to, would you want a blind man to walk into the woods and go, I can't see, but I, can, I think I can get you out. You'd be like, thank you, but no thank you. I'm okay by myself. No, you want someone who knows the path, who can see, who knows the truth. And that's what, that's why God came to us. Jesus came for us. He came after you because you were blind. You were lost. And I love I wrote this down, and I read this, and I can't remember where I read it, but it was this. Jesus is the seeking Savior. Jesus is a Savior that comes seeking. You see, the Bible tells us that our wandering, our, our going astray, as, I, I, as Isaiah 53 says, going our own way, that's what Romans says to us. We're all sinners. We're all unrighteous before God. We're lost in that sin, and, and we can't get our way out of it. But yet, how many people try to use um, earthly ideas and earthly ways and, and earthly plans and, and human devices thinking, I can get myself right before God. But we can't because we're lost. And Jesus came for us. Let me ask you, how easy is it when we become comfortable with Jesus to not think about that point. Let me ask you, just don't raise your hand, but when was the last time that you just, in your prayer time, had that light bulb come on and you went, wow, Jesus, you came after me. In your sin, Jesus came after you. We don't deserve that. We were the sinners. We are the ones that went astray. We are the ones who said, okay, I see God's path, but I don't want to live that way. I'm going to go my own way. When was the last time that you just pondered that? I bet for some of you, this is the first time in a long time you've heard Jesus came after you. And that you, you just kind of think about that and go, I don't deserve that. I deserve to be eternally lost. I'm the sinner. 
What did I do to deserve Jesus coming and dying for my sin on a cross? Nothing. But what a great truth to remember. Because this is what Jesus does. He comes after us. Here's number two. Here's the second thing that Jesus does. Jesus extends an invitation to believe. He extends an invitation to believe. So after he finds this guy there in verse 35, look at what he says. Do you believe in the son of man? Now, some of you may have a version that says, do you believe in the son of God? The son of man, son of God is the same thing. It's, this, it's, it's the, really just describing the messianic, messianic title of, of, of who the Messiah is. It's Jesus, when he says, do you believe in the son of man, the son of God? What he's saying is, do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the Messiah, the Savior of Israel? And he stops after that question. He doesn't go any further. He just asks a question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah? Stop. Because what is he waiting for? A response. And here's the thing. This guy, as soon as Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Messiah? This guy has a choice. What are his two choices? Yes or no? Yes, I do. No, I don't. That's it. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't twisting his arm. He's not forcing him to believe. He's not making him believe. He gives him a choice. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He extends the invitation. And now he gives the, the, the guy an opportunity to respond. Yes or no. But why would Jesus need to ask that question? I mean, he found the guy. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to assume there's probably some more dialogue going on between these two guys. It's just that God just, you know, and his, this is what I'm going to tell you. But why would Jesus need to ask this guy, do you believe in the, Son of Ma- in the Messiah? Why, why even ask him that question? Because you got to remember, he was born blind physically, and he has his physical sight. Now, let me ask you, what's more important, physical sight or spiritual sight? Spiritual. Jesus is getting to the root of everything here. He's like, you've got your physical sight, but you still don't see. You don't have spiritual sight. And that's where Jesus is going here. He wants to know, do you see spiritually? And so he asked them, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah? And look at what this guy says. And in verse 36, it says, he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And the guy said in verse 38, Lord, I believe. Now we see when Jesus asks this question, now we start to see the progression from this guy going from no spiritual sight to spiritual sight. We see the progression of him not believing to believing. And the way we see this is from the order of of what's being asked. Jesus says, do you believe? And this guy asks a question. Who is he, sir, that I may believe? 
Now, in verse 36, you have the word, my, my translation, you have the word sir. Does anybody have a translation with the word Lord in verse 36? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, some of you who may be watching, if you have a New King James, a King James New American Standard Version, you're going to see the word Lord there, okay? So in verse 36, the guy says, who is he, sir, or who is he, Lord? Now, the question is, is why do some of our English translations in that verse have the word sir or the word Lord? Why not just one word? Because the Greek word that, you got to remember, this was written in Greek, original language. In the Greek, that Greek word there is kyrios. And that word kyrios really simply means it's a title of respect. So this guy is showing respect to Jesus. And it's kind of like if, if a child comes up to me and, and they go, and they respond to me and they say, yes, sir, or no, sir. They're showing me respect by giving me the title of sir. Now, the word Lord can also be used because like in old English, how many of you remember when they used to say, yes, my Lord, or yes, my lady? It was a, it was a, a form of respect. It was a title. So this guy is giving Jesus a title of respect. Who is he, sir? Or who is he, Lord? Okay, it's just a title. But when Jesus reveals himself, he's like, he who is talking to you is it. So Jesus basically just un unveiled this guy's eyes. He's like, do you want to know who the Messiah is? You're looking at him. I am. I'm the one from heaven. I'm the savior. I am it. Now, if you look at verse 38, the guy replies again, Lord, I believe different Lord now. It goes from, it, it no longer is just a, he's just like, I'm just talking to some normal dude here to now I'm talking to the Lord. He just elevated the, the, the meaning of this word from just a simple title of respect to who Jesus truly is. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's, he's, he's just elevated this word to its loftiest sense, to its greatest sense it could be. He is, this guy gets the light bulb came on in this moment. He's like, I believe you just said who you are. You are the Lord. It is no longer, yes, sir, it is, you are the king. You are my Lord. You are God. He just moved it, okay? This guy, his eyes have now been opened. His spiritual eyes have now, because they were closed at one point. Who is he, sir? If you'll tell me who he is, I'll believe in him. He's just, he just thinks Jesus is some regular guy. But as soon as Jesus says, Who's, here's who I am. Now he's like, I get it. You are. And I believe in you. Now, it's that word believe, this is, this is an interest. I, I've said this many times as we've looked through John, because we see this many times, people saying they believe in Jesus, they believe in Jesus. But so many people believe in Jesus because of what he could do, Okay. This guy's not believing in Jesus because Jesus opened his eyes from birth. This guy is believing in Jesus because the meaning of the word means he's committing himself fully and completely to who Jesus is. He's just not believing in Jesus for, hey, great, hey, thank you for letting me see now. 
Thank you for me putting mud in my eyes and now I can see. I, I, yeah, thank you. No, he's like, no, 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 no. I believe not because you healed me. I believe because I know who you are. You are the Savior. You are the Lord. You are God Almighty and I believe in you. He is now giving himself. He's, he's, he's taking all of his eggs and putting them in the Jesus basket. This is his I've just come to, to Jesus moment. All right. This is his born again moment. This is his, I was blind. Remember when he said that to the Pharisees, he's like, "Ah, listen, I was blind physically, but now I see. Now he's saying I was blind spiritually, but now I see. And Jesus is his savior. He believes in Jesus at that moment. It is no different for you and I today. Jesus extends the same question to you and me today. Do you believe in me? Do you believe in Jesus? And he will stop. And guess what? He gives you the opportunity to do. To choose. Yes or no. Do you believe? I can't make you believe. The person sitting next to you cannot make you believe. Jesus himself will not make you believe in him. He extends an invitation and he's whispering to your heart right now. Do you believe in me? Do you believe? You see, you got to come to the place like this guy where you realize I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I am spiritually lost in that you, you come to that place. And you, 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 you've been hearing me and you hear that thing. Jesus came for me and he came to save me from my sin. And so when you come to that place, you hear the question, do you believe? Have you committed your life to Christ? Have you come to faith alone in Jesus Christ? You see, too many people think it's what I do, but Jesus is the only thing. And the question is still applied to you and me today. Do you believe? Have you committed yourself? Not just believe that, yep, I, I believe that, that Jesus existed. I believe that, yeah, you know, that I believe Jesus, he's just, just like anybody else. Now, do you believe? Has it transformed you? Do you believe in the, in the place of going, Jesus, I want to trust in you? It's believing in Jesus. And he extends that invitation to you today. Now, look at what happens, though, after this guy believes there in verse 38. He says, Lord, I believe. Lord, like I said, he, 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 he gets it that Jesus is everything. Jesus is the Lord. He, he's God Almighty. And he believes in him. And then look at what he says, what happens right after that. He, it says, and he worshiped him. This guy comes to the place where he realizes who Jesus is. He realizes what Jesus has come to do. He realizes Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. And this guy has only one response to this. I got to worship this guy. I, I, I got, I, because, because he just realizes Jesus is not some just ordinary guy. He is the Lord. And because he is Lord, he deserves my worship. 
Again, when we're comfortable with Jesus, guess what's one of the first things that gets axed out of our schedule? Worship. When we get so busy with life, we get so involved in what we need to be doing, when other things... Now, I'm just going to put this out there. I'm gonna, I know I'm going to step on toes with this, but it's got to be said. When other things or other people become the Lord, the Lord doesn't get worshiped. Because here's why. When other things become more important, when activities become more important Guess what happens? My attendance for worship goes extremely down. I, I don't have time to go worship. I, I don't, I'm not real interested in going to worship. I don't really, well, you know what? Jesus loves me. I, you, know, you don't have to go to church. And so we get comfortable with Jesus, and then all of a sudden we can take advantage of Jesus and think, I really don't need to go on Sunday because you know what? He understands my hectic lifestyle. Jesus is Lord. Okay, you missed that. I'm going to back up. I'm setting the ramp up because that should have been an amen. And, and I'm thinking there's not a lot of amens because there's a lot of conviction going on. So here it goes. Jesus is Lord. Okay, still too much conviction, apparently. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. Amen. And if you believe in him, if you've come to the place where if I were to ask you, do you believe in Jesus? And you were to say, yes, I do. He is my savior. And I know it's only through him that I would have to come back. Then why do you miss half of the year in worship? How can you miss so much in worship and never be here if he's truly your savior? Because the only response from me as a believer should be worship. Now, does that mean I can never miss a Sunday? No. We work, we get sick. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is if I can miss more coming to worship than I am here, something is broken and disconnected. Jesus is not your Lord. He's just another guy. If Jesus truly has impacted my life, if he truly is Jesus, the savior of my life, then guess what I am? Jesus, I believe in you. You are Lord. And guess what I'm doing? What this guy's doing? I worship. And man, I'm going to do everything I can to come and worship. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to let anything. Again, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. I'm not saying that things don't come up. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is there should be something in us, every one of us, as a believer in Jesus Christ that says, he is my Savior. He is my Lord. I want to worship him. And guess what I do? Man, I make every effort on Sunday morning to get my butt out of bed. I make every effort to go, you know what? I, I'm tired today. I'm just going to stay home and watch on, online. It's so much easier. No, I'm going to do everything I can to get myself into that place because I'm going to worship my Savior. I'm going to worship my God. That's what we do as believers. 
Worship should be a natural response, an overflow of my relationship with Christ. So Jesus, what does he do? He comes after us. He extends an invitation to believe. Here's the third thing. Jesus desires to remove spiritual blindness. He desires to remove spiritual blindness. So this guy says in verse 38, I believe, and he worshiped him. Look at verse 39. And Jesus says to this guy, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So he's now broken people really into two different groups. One group is that those who do not see may see. He's again not talking about physical blindness. He's talking about spiritual blindness. And when he talks about, when he says that people who cannot see, they may see. These are people just like this guy. This guy was spiritually blind also. He was physically blind, but now he can see spirit physically, but he was still spiritually blind. But as soon as Jesus revealed who he was, his eyes were opened. And so what Jesus is saying is there are people who hear this truth. We all are sinners. We all have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way and we all are lost. And Jesus came after us. He came to die for us and he came to save us. And if we put our faith in Christ alone, we have eternal life. There are people who hear that. And when they hear that, they go, I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I have no hope. And they see their need for a savior and they no longer looking at self, but they are looking up and they're like, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I need you to save me. They are people that could not see, but now they see. But then he also has a second group of people. He says, but then there will also be people who say they see, but they will be made blind. You see, these are people who hear the truth. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. Jesus came to save me but I don't need that. These are people who put their faith in their self-righteousness. These are people who put their, their um, hope in, I'm a pretty good person. I, I think God will let me in. I think my good's gonna outweigh my bad. These are people who put their hope in their, their religious, their, the, how religious they are or how spiritual they are. These are people who don't really, they, they don't consider themselves a sinner. Because sin is just bad, bad people. I'm not that. I'm overall a pretty good person. I'm kind. I'm, I'm, I'm respectful. I, I, I give to charity. And sure, I may not do it perfectly every time, but I, overall, I'm per, a pretty good person. So that should get me to heaven. So no, I don't really need Jesus in my life. And Jesus is saying, those people, they think they see, but they're truly blind because they don't truly see the need in themselves. They can only see their self-righteousness. And so Jesus is saying these are two groups of people. Many of you, your eyes have been opened spiritually. You were blind at one point, 
You at one point didn't see the need to know Jesus as your savior. But when you heard the truth, your eyes of your heart were opened and you came to the realization of saying, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life and save me. Your eyes are opened. But some of you in here today, your eyes are probably still closed. You think you see because you are putting your hope in, I'm religious, I'm spiritual, I'm good, I'm kind, I do good, I do, I'm, I'm overall, I'm a good person. And you think you see, and you think you're okay, and you're all right with God. But you're still blind because you're putting your hope in self. And Jesus is saying, look, you either are blind and you will see, or you think you see and you're still blind. Now, this gets the Pharisees really bent out of shape. Because if you look at verse 40, it says, Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? They're really offended at this point. And Jesus says to them in verse 41, he says, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You see, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, he's like, you know what? Here's the truth, gang. If you were truly blind spiritually and you acknowledge the fact that you were a sinner, you would acknowledge the fact that you, you need to be saved. If you truly acknowledged who I was, I would forgive you and your sin would be dealt with. But you don't want to do that. You think you see because you're a religious leader. You think you see because you have all of this knowledge. You, you're puffed up in your knowledge. You think you see spiritually. He goes, but you truly don't. And your guilt still remains on you. That is like you and me. Some of you see. And you've come to the place where you've acknowledged Christ and you believe in him as your savior. But I wonder how many of you may be here today, maybe online, and you still don't see. You think you see, but you're still in your sin. And the guilt of that sin is still upon you. But maybe you're thinking, Jim, what is the big deal? I mean, come on. You can't tell me that a really good person isn't going to be okay with God. I mean, why do we all need to, to believe in Jesus? Why can't we just be good? Why can't we just all get along and, and call it a day? Because of the last thing that Jesus does. And it's this, number four. Jesus brings inevitable judgment to those who say no. He will bring judgment to those who say no. Because if you look right again at the beginning of verse 39, Jesus says, for judgment, I came into this world. Now, I'm hoping at that point when I just read that, some of you went, what? Because I'm hoping some of you, have, you're, you're a little bit Bible keen right now, and you're going, there's a verse that should be thinking in your head. That sounds contradictory to something he's already said. Do you know what verse I'm thinking? Anybody? Very good. John 3, 16 and 17. Jesus says, for whoever, you know, he, he says, for God so loved the world that whoever believes him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Now time out. 
Jesus, you already said that you didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. But now you said you've come into the world to bring judgment. So is Jesus contradicting himself? Nope. Because almost they're simultaneously together. Because here's why. Jesus' salvation is the dividing sword. You see, Jesus says, again, if you would, bring up John 3.16. Now look at it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, whoever believes, choice, isn't it? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order for the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes shall not perish. So if you believe in Jesus, as this guy has, you don't perish. You, 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 you have eternal life. But let's flip the table over. What's the opposite of whoever believes? Whoever doesn't. Whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. But whoever does not believe shall perish and not have eternal life. You see, that's the judgment. Jesus absolutely, 100%, came to this world to save sinners. He came to offer and extend an invitation. He came with a message. His word is a message to all people. All of us are sinners, we all are sinners. We all have wandered away from God's path. We all have gone our own way. We all are unrighteous before God. We all are without hope. That is our true spiritual condition. Without hope. No hope for eternity. But Jesus came after us. He came to this world for God so loved the world. He loved people. He gave his only son and his son came to this world, died on a cross and through him, his messages, if you will believe in me wholeheartedly, nothing else, full faith in me, I will forgive you of all your sin and you will have eternal life with me. He extends the invitation. He's extended that invitation for 2,000 years, and he's still extending the invitation to you and me today. If you will believe in me, I'll give you eternal life. But if you choose not to believe, that's okay. That is your choice. Listen, judgment is not the number one thing Jesus wants to do. Judgment is the last resort. Judgment is only for people who keep saying, no, I don't need this. I'm okay. I don't need to believe in Jesus. I'm good. I'm religious. I'm spiritual. I'm going to heaven. There's no way that God's going to let people go to hell. That just is ridiculous in my book. I'm, I'm okay. And I don't need Jesus. And we keep saying, no, we keep saying, no, we keep saying, no. And there will come a day in your life that this body is going to die. And if you keep saying no on this side of heaven, and when this body dies, your guilt, the guilt of your sin remains on you. And you will go before the judgment seat. And Jesus, and Jesus will bring judgment. 
And as the book of Revelation says, that there will be people who will stand before him and they did not have their name written in the Lamb's book of life because they never said yes to Jesus, never trusted him, never believed that they were a sinner and asked Jesus to forgive them. And Jesus will look at them and say, I never knew you. Depart from me. You see, we need to take this, this warning that Jesus says, I have come into this world to bring judgment. That's because people keep saying no to the salvation. And the only outcome for people who keep saying no is final judgment. But Jesus doesn't want that for you. He wants you to come to the place where you say yes that you acknowledge you're a sinner and your sin will separate you from God for all eternity, but Jesus is the answer for that. He is the cure for that. You have a cancer and it is called sin and Jesus is the ultimate cure for that cancer. Today, if you don't know Jesus is your savior, this is a great opportunity to come to that place where you just say, ABC, accept the fact that you are a sinner. Believe in Jesus and confess him as your savior. If you do those things and come to that place where you commit your life to Christ, you are forgiven and you have eternal life. My prayer is that as Jesus extends that invitation, you are one of those people who will say yes. Let's all stand and let's close in a word of prayer. Oh, Father. We thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent Jesus and he came after us. Because the truth is, Father, we are all lost. Our, our true natural spiritual condition is that we're sinners. And we are lost and we have no hope. And Jesus, you came after us to give us hope. That whosoever shall believe in you shall have eternal life. And whoever believes in you, they will go from being blind to seeing. And Lord, I would pray today that if there would be anyone in here who does not know Christ as their Savior, that, that Lord, today they would come to that place of saying yes to you. Lord, I would just pray that as we close in this final song, that you would just stir on, on people's hearts. And if they don't know Christ, that they would come to that place of saying, Jesus, I need you. And so we just thank you, Father, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.